0: Hello, friends, and welcome to the U-Turn podcast. This is your host, Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, a speaker, a best-selling author of the book, U-Turn, Get Unstuck, Discover Your Direction, Design Your Dream Career. And I created the U-Turn book and the podcast as a place to help you connect to who you truly are at your core, and that's why every single week, I want to bring a guest on with the intention of helping you expand what's possible for you, both in your confidence, whether it's in work or love, and just in life in general. So let's get into this week's episode. Hello, U-Turn friends. It's Ash here, and I'm sitting on this recording with a big, happy face sweater talking to Miriam Shulman. She is an artist. She's the founder of Inspiration Place, where she helps other artists learn how to profit from their passion and become better artists. She's helped thousands of artists around the world develop their skill sets and create more time and freedom to do what they love. Her art, her story, they've been featured in major publications, whether it's Entrepreneur, Forbes, New York Times, Art of Man, Art Journaling Magazine, What Women Create, as well as featured on NBC's Parenthood and the Amazon series Hunters with Al Pacino. And her new book with Harper Collins is out. February 2023. So it's here. You need it. It's called Artpreneur. And today we want to talk about how can you bring your art into the world, whether you want to turn it into a business or you just want to elevate the awareness around it and just tune into your artistic self. So without further ado, thanks for being here, Miriam. No, thanks for having me. Super fun. I wish everyone could see your sweatshirt. The the month I was t- just telling her everyone who before we hit record we really covered a lot of information. The first, That's right. <laughs> is that I bought this sweater on some illegitimate website, and I got so many comments from friends on it that I bought seven of them, and I gave them away to my friends on a bad day, so they all got this happy face sweater. I
1: wish I was friends with you when you did that.
0: Like wh- I missed the I window so of New York, you in New York City, and. Little sweatshirts, right? That's what I'm saying. And like, and then I was also talking to her about how I just got my eyebrows done next to a gun store because I live in Florida now, and it's just hilarious. Been fun. My dog almost ate an iguana or whatever those are yesterday. Thank God he didn't. Um, with a cone on, like he just got fixed, and he's still trying to eat iguanas. You know, it's um, been wild over here. But without further ado, let's talk about you. Um, how has it been since? having your book come out and what was the intention most for you as you got started writing the book?
1: Yes. Two great questions. Very different questions. So yeah. writing a book and you've written a book, right? So yeah. you, as you know, it's like being pregnant with an elephant. Yeah. Yes. Like an elephant has like a 22 month pregnancy or something obscene. And then you have to like have give labor birth to an elephant, a baby elephant. And now you have this baby elephant yeah which is kind of cute. I think I've forgotten how horrible writing it was. So, you know, maybe I want another cute elephant, but right. but right now I'm 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 dragging a baby elephant around with me.
0: So, I know exactly how that feels and I think my biggest fear when I went to write my book was will the the things that I have inside of my brain that I want the world to know with no attachment to my own ego, hopefully, just like desire to share, will they make it onto the page? So do you feel like everything you had to say made it into artpreneur?
1: Oh, absolutely not. That's why I'm thinking I might need to have a second baby elephant. But uh, I mean, my core message um, of what this book needed to be is there But then there's especially, and I'm sure you know this, Ashley, that when you go to talk about your book, you start to learn what the book didn't address. And not in a bad way, not that there's anything wrong with our books, but like not everything can be in one book anyway, and and not everything should be in one book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I feel like I, for lack of a better term, like shit out everything I had to say in this book. So (laughs) I don't have anything... (laughs) I don't have another poop to take right now. (laughs) (laughs) It's hilarious. People are like, when's your next book? I'm like, that's the most terrifying question. But I love that you just want to birth elephants left, right, and center. So that's. Well,
1: you know, I have amnesia. So, so one of the biggest pushbacks I get, especially from um, trolls on social media, is you don't talk about talent. Like, what about talent? Like, don't we just have to make good art? (laughs) Like, oh no, honey, because we've all seen. very talented people, and we're talking not just visual art, not just music, not just dance, all industries. Very talented people flounder. Mm-hmm. And then people who rise to the top are like, I don't get it. What's so great about yeah. her? Yeah.
0: Just so the other day, I was in yeah. an art gallery in Palm Beach and there was a like a blood splatter almost painting. It was like 200K. So I feel like a lot of people will relate to this, but remembering that beauty is subjective. Um, but you still talk a lot about how to build an audience of raving fans and charge top dollar. Oh, well, because it's not about
1: talent. It's about mindset and marketing. And I would even so mindset and marketing trump talent. Mm-hmm. But these are the words how these less, you know, these blood splatters end up in galleries. Somebody had to have the chutzpah to say this is art. And, and the gallerist had to have, you know, also had to have the balls to say, yes, we agree with you. This is art. So a lot of that is mindset, uh, but it's mark, it's marketing and mindset, but you can't even market well if you don't have a solid
0: mindset. Would you agree with that, Ashley? Yeah. hundred percent. Like why here's how mindset works, right? Like if you don't think it's available, why would you go do it? If somebody told me a pink elephant is outside and I was like, they don't exist. Why would I go outside? I want to drink my coffee. It's the same thing with your beliefs. So, I love what you're sharing about marketing. Um, Okay. And what what I'm excited about is you're so good at this that I want to be tactical for people listening because I know there's a lot of artists here, whether their flavor is having an Etsy store, um, you know, or even being like me wanting to create a line of happy face fleece sweaters. Um, How did they get started in building that audience of fans that want what they're putting out there and are prepared to pay them for it?
1: Yeah. So that's why I start off the book with just saying you have to choose to believe. Yeah. Like is it just it, well, how do you believe? No, it really is, it really is just choosing. Mm-hmm. So choosing to believe. So a lot of times when we're going to do something that's uncomfortable to us, now we all have our comfort zones and lack of comfort zones, but you know, maybe we're comfortable opening an Etsy shop, but we're not comfortable sending out a lot of emails. Or we're not comfortable going to an art fair and actually putting things on a table and having people say no, they don't want to buy it. So we all have our levels of what we feel comfortable with. And anytime we want to do something new, we're going to feel uncomfortable. Our brains have evolved for survival, not goal achievement. So this is how our brains work. If something makes us feel uncomfortable, We're going to come up with all kinds of stories about why it's a terrible idea. And the smarter you are, which I know your listeners are, and the more creative you are, the better you're going to be at coming up with those stories. And they feel real. So it doesn't feel like excuses. It feels like
0: facts, like, oh, this won't work for me because dot, dot, dot. U-Turn friends, have you ever thought about giving a TED talk? Has that been a bucket list or a dream for you? Well, ever since my TEDx talk hit the top 100 on the internet and I've landed so many opportunities because of it, I've been so honored to make an impact, share my story, and now I'm inspired to help you do the same. For the first time ever, I have a booking team behind me with a 97% success rate in helping you book a TEDx talk. And I'm working one-on-one with clients, helping them write their story, write their TEDx talk so that they get a lot of success with the booking. If you're interested in working together on this, if you're an author, a speaker, an entrepreneur, even a researcher of any sort, I would absolutely love for you to fill out an application. Head on over to ashleystahl.com talk. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L.com slash T-A-L-K. Now let's get back to this week's episode. I think a lot of people get stuck in the how, like, okay, I have this talent, but how do I make money from it? How do I survive from it? And I just got off a podcast interview with Dr. Anna Youssef. Do you know Dr. Anna by chance? No. Should I? She's in New York. Yes, you should. She's, I mean, she's all over the place. She's so whimsical, but she is starting Yale Center for Spirituality. Oh, I definitely want to meet her. Will you introduce her? Yeah, she's a vibe. I will introduce you guys. Um, But she was just talking about the four existential crises that humans go through. And I'm going to butcher this, but she talked about purpose, death, meaning, or I guess purpose and meaning are the same thing, Um, aloneness, like feeling isolated. Um, There's one other thing. I guess everyone will have to listen to that episode, but- my point being, um, I think a lot of people struggle with purpose because they have an artist living inside of them, and they're instead in something more cerebral or analytical um and, and it hurts it's painful. it's like you know fitting an elephant into your into your vag and birthing it. it's just like doesn't so pushing push. it back the other way, I'm
1: pushing it's back it back in there yeah. right, you can't hold it in, yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> Like you said about the poop. It's like, I know. No, it's, you know, I'm so, so about. today. I'm I so like, this is. I don't know. Is there, your, pocket's always like this? Like, no, you, no, it's no it's I think I listened to one. It
0: was nothing like this. No, no. Honestly, you're bringing out something weird in me and I'm not going to blame you fully for this, but I think I you just... You can blame me. I've been too serious today and the happy face police, whenever it comes on, I just go wild. So I'm going wild today. And thankfully, I have enough capital, I think, with listeners that... We've got like 300 episodes and they've seen that I can be a respectable person and today they just forgive me. But, um, yeah, I want to talk about drawing attention to your creations. Um, Okay. There's so, there's so many other things though I want to
1: unpack. So, okay. So. This was my story. I I did go the practical route after college. I had a mountain of student loans. I came from a single family household. My father passed away when I was five. I didn't have, you know, the rich father to fall back, you know, any of that. And I I had to pay back my loans. So I went to Wall Street. And after 9 11 happened, it became like absolutely there was no way I was gonna go back to to that you know after seeing the world trade center burn down where i used to work i was like no there's no way i was going to go back to it and so for me it became it was too painful to stay in in that 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 motivated me that was my push off the starting block that i had you know it didn't you know if i had any thoughts that something wasn't going to work i was going to try something different and creativity at its core is a survival strategy it's about adapting to What you have and making it work no matter what. So, and what you were saying before about the existential crisis, we've all gone through that. The pandemic, for me, it was 9 11 20 years ago. But for many people, the pandemic was that existential crisis that's like a wake up call. What are you meant to do in this world? What are you doing here? And that's why we had the great resignation with millions of people walking away from their jobs. Millions of people opened up brand new Etsy shops. We have like the you know, when I first started writing the book in 2020, there were 3 million Etsy sellers. There's well over 5 million now. So there's a lot of people who are feeling this call.
0: Mm, mm. I just got scammed by um, a coffee table sale on Etsy. <laughs> I know, but it's not, I've never been scammed and I've had nothing but a good time with Etsy until now. What did and- you do? Send
1: you a photo of a coffee table?
0: Like you bought the coffee table, you know, you bought like, the picture of a coffee table. Or I something. bought a picture and then they closed their account when then it shipped to Colorado and I'm in Florida. So I don't really know what's going on, but point being Etsy is amazing. I've almost never had a bad experience until now. And I think a lot of people go through, like you said, so much mindset around like, who am I imposter syndrome? Who am I to be charging money for this? Um, and so let's say they're starting to believe it. They're like, this is possible. And they're doing mindset work, whether they're listening to my show, reading books, whatever they're doing to get better with their themselves and loving themselves and trusting themselves. Um, what are some of the more tactical approaches that you think are just so powerful that have been so huge for you as you've increased the value of your work in the marketplace and you've seen other people who've worked with you or read your work do the same?
1: Yeah. There's, there's three things that I want to offer you. So the first thing is journaling so that you can see your thoughts. So mm. that is huge. And throughout the book, I do offer, um, mindset check-ins where I say, this is what you might be thinking right now. Nobody's going to buy my work. No one's going to pay those prices for mine. This is not an art town. Uh, ones that I've actually heard there's, there's not as many people in Australia as there are in the U S and I'm like, uh, I think there's 30 million people there. Yeah. There's enough people to sell art to. So um, there's things that we say, like I said, they sound like real, like this is the real reason this won't work. And they really aren't. And this is goes back to cognitive behavior therapy. Dr. Aaron Beck founded this. Uh, he just passed away a year ago at age 100. So this was his work. And it's about how we make more progress by looking at our thoughts and questioning Um, is this all or nothing thinking like nobody, nobody's buying art now. It's a recession like that. Is this all or nothing thinking? Am I fortune telling or am I mind reading? So doing those check-ins, but what I do throughout the book is I brought out some of the most common ones throughout so that people can actually see how, what they're thinking isn't true because a lot of times the problem with eliminating belief is we just can't see it. We, we, we are feeling it and experience it as facts. And that's that I would say is number one. Number two is clean up your, the way you talk. So this is something I did, you know, we were talking about like what didn't make it into the book. So this is <laughs> right. So there's something else that I would say when you say things like, I don't have time, I can't afford it. Those are very disempowering for yourself. You have to start telling yourself the truth and say things like, I choose not to spend my time that way. I choose not to invest my money that way. Tell yourself the truth. Cause every time you say these things, these knee jerk response, I don't have time. I can't afford it. You believe it. You internalize it. And and then you believe other people when they're saying those things too. be less inclined to believe them, not that they're lying to you, but they they have their own money mindset issues. So if they're saying things like, I don't have time, I can't afford it, just know they're choosing not to.
0: You can kind of see your beliefs because you see them in your results, right? Like, That's right. That's look correct. Look at all the core facets of your life. Look at your relationship. Look at your body. Look at your bank account. Look at your business or your career. Are you happy with the res- Is it good news? Like, how are you feeling about it? And then what are you believing about life, about you, about the world that is translating into that result? Because I think the way that beliefs work, it's, it's almost like the pantheon in Italy where there's like the cap, which is like the, the top belief. And then it's supported by all these little pillars beneath it. So like the cap is like, I can't have that. And then there's all these beliefs to support the I can't have that because of this, because of that, because of that. So I feel like checking out your results and just assessing them. Also, I love what you're sharing, you know, just about um, like networking and connecting with people and getting out there and being able to own what you say. I think a lot of people um, in in the career space, at least people who have taken my job offer academy course, they get out there and network. And one of the biggest uh, shortcomings, I think, is when they let themselves believe fully what everybody else is saying, because The ideal career path for them is not going to be the ideal career path for everyone that they're talking to who is in that career path. So it's so important to be able to hold what people say and get curious about it and, you know, not necessarily subscribe fully um, and to keep doing your own research. My friend, are you ready to stay hydrated this summer? I have something for you. Grapefruit salt from Element. It's LMNT, because healthy hydration isn't just about drinking water, it's about water and electrolytes. It makes sense. You lose both water and sodium when you sweat, and both of those need to be replaced to prevent muscle cramps, headaches, energy dips throughout the day. But most people only replace the water. So why is that? Well, since the 1940s, we've been told to drink eight glasses of water per day, thirsty or not. But drinking beyond your thirst is a bad idea. It actually dilutes your blood electrolyte levels, especially sodium, which leads to headaches, low energy, cramps, confusion, or worse. So this low sodium situation called hyponatremia is super common among endurance athletes. And the solution is not to stop drinking water either. It's to drink water with electrolytes. That is where LMNT, my favorite brand for electrolytes, has you covered. So former research biochemist Rob Wolf and Keto Gains co-founder Louis Villasenor formulated Element to provide the optimal ratios of sodium, potassium, and magnesium for health, performance, and energy. They also formulated Element to please your palate. It tastes so good. Try orange salt, citrus salt, watermelon salt, or you can experiment with five other flavors like this summer's grapefruit. I even like to put Element's chocolate flavor into my coffee in the morning sometimes. So Element just gave us a really fun offer. All you have to go do is head on over to drinkelement.com slash Ashley Stahl, that's D-R-I-N-K, lmnt.com dot com slash A-S-H-L-E-Y-S-T-A-H-L to receive a free sample pack of every flavor with your first purchase. My personal favorite is the watermelon and the lime. Again, that's drinkelement.com slash Ashley Stahl. Your salty little summer starts now.
1: The reason why when people are, they're, they're uncomfortable, they... They feel afraid and now they're coming up with stories why this thing won't work. And what ends up happening is they're going to do one or two things. Either they just won't do anything at all because they're just, I'm so confused. You know, they're indulging in that, or they're going to go into procrastinate learning mode where they want to find everything, all the information, because they have this belief that if only they knew every single step, they won't fail. Right. And they'll get right. it all perfect. But here's what happens when you get more information, you're not. Less confused, you're more confused because you will find conflicting advice mm. and you
0: really won't know what the first step is. I love that. And I also, speaking of the first step, I think a lot of people are probably listening right now, thinking to themselves, like, yeah, I have a really artistic side that I have not let out and I'm, my soul is dying to tune into my creativity in whatever way that looks, whether that's creating origami <laughs> or painting pictures or writing a script for a movie, whatever it is, what would be a suggestion you have um, beyond the belief system, but more just like in this physical world we're in of like, where would people go first, maybe to start tapping in and saying like, I'm going to go explore this.
1: Yeah. So if we're talking about monetizing your creativity, uh, a lot of people, yes, or just no, just creative.
0: just learning what their thing is, right? Like maybe yeah. they feel this like that little elephant we're talking about, like, oh, there's something in me and I don't know what it is yet. And I need it to have to be out there. Like, okay. how do you even discover where to put your energy? Cause I know in my body, like I've done a meditation teacher training. I'm training in botanicals and herbalism this summer. Like I have so many creative parts that need to play. So I know not everybody is attuned to that for themselves. Yeah. How do they get started?
1: Yeah. That's not something that I really explore is like finding what your passion is, but once you know what it is, what, what a lot of creative struggle with is even in the expression of it. So I call it embracing your inner weirdo, which is maybe yeah. why the conversation has been on that yeah. on tangent.
0: Today. That's why I said it's your fault. It is like, my
1: is fault. Weird. Yeah. So, uh, the thing, so I I break it down into steps about how to find your own voice and how to experiment, how to let yourself fail, how to um, lean into the quirks. The very things that come easy to us are the ones that we often dismiss, and are usually are the very things that we need to do. And not being people pleasing, not um, not trying to vanilla our style. So. This was something that I talk about in the book. Also, the example I like to give is Britney Spears. So now she seems so commonplace. But what we forget is when she first came out, the way she sang, the way she talked, including that valley talk into her singing, that was brand new. And when she first was coming onto the scene, she had a vocal coach who could have trained that out of her, could have trained all those vocal tics away. And then we would never have known who she is because she would have just blended in with every other blonde, uh, Mickey Mouse, wh- whatever those things, whatever they were called. What, was <laughs> she like a musketeer or something? Oh, yeah. Um, the musketeer. Yeah. Right. There were a lot of people, musketeers who became singers and we don't know who they are anymore. Yeah. So what is it that separates you from everybody else is what are your quirks? What are your values? What makes you weird?
0: Mm hmm. Okay wait what were some of the ticks you're talking about with Britney like cuz you talk about it like you're an expert on Britney's spirit. like is it like the little sound she makes like again nah like oops that ah. like what are you Yeah talking? like
1: all that like that valley talk way of singing so it's it's hard even to explain what's different about it now cuz so many people copied her yeah. afterwards it became like oh now all these people are doing it but she was the first one to do it but if you look at any music movement any art movement, it's always a contrast and in response to what came before it. So we had Nirvana, um, yeah, you know, cock rock, and then pushing right up against that was Alanis Morissette. Mm. Like, so, and you have this, and then in the art movements, you have abstract expressionists that was like maybe for 10 years and then pop art pushed that aside. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you had the impressionists and then, um, you know, Matisse and the Falvus push that aside. So yeah. it's like everything is always pushing aside. And that's why I, I as an artist, am not worried mm-hmm. about AI art. Mm-hmm. I am not worried about Chat GPT because it works on data that's like three years old and mm-hmm. it doesn't have a point of view. Wow, that's so and, good. And what makes you stand out this is for everyone listening. If you're in business, if you're an artist, what's going to make you stand out as an artist, a musician, a business coach, a sneaker store, doesn't matter what you are, is that you have a unique point of view. That's what makes art matter. Mm.
0: I love what you're sharing and I think some people sometimes buy into the belief that like there's nothing special about them. And I actually, I say often, like I used to think it was so cheesy before I started my business like 12 years ago where people would say like, everybody has that special something. I remember thinking like, maybe they don't, maybe there's like duds, you know, but it's not true. Everybody does have something really unique about them and it's just a game of permission slips. Like, are you going to give yourself that permission to do that? Are,
1: Are you willing for people to not like you?
0: Yeah. Because
1: you have to go there. You just have to, you can't be vanilla. There's no money in the middle. So you have to go to the place where the people are going to love you and people are going to hate you and, and be okay with that. Everybody likes me. Some people think I have the ugliest
0: voice, you know, AF. It's (laughs) fine. I'm
1: fine with that.
0: (laughs) Okay. This is, uh, this is a good start for us to kind of get everyone thinking about like, How are you limiting yourself from doing that special something? And if you don't know what your special something is, ask people around you that you know and trust. Like, what do you think my special something is? It's not about collecting feedback and outsourcing yourself and not trusting yourself, but there is wisdom in considering feedback from people that you value. So maybe taking a moment for that. Um, Okay, so work-life balance. I know that when we think about the word writer or artist, we hear the word struggling come to mind sometimes. Struggling artist, struggling writer. I'm not a struggling writer. I've been writing forever, and I know a lot of successful writers. Um, How do you create work-life balance where you can push yourself and set these manageable goals, um, but still, you know, keep your priorities in check?
1: Yeah, this is a very important point, especially since there's this myth that uh, artists can't be mothers. Which all you know you can't. You, there's always that cult of the male genius, and you can't be a mother and a business
0: person. Do you have kids, Ashley? Um, yeah, I don't have kids, but I have a 100 pound German Shepherd that feels like a kid. Um, but I plan to have kids someday. So not okay. All right. So um, this was something you know. I've been
1: I've been at this for 20 years, and my kids are. <laughs> quite old now. They're 25 and 22, but there was a time when they were two and five and I had to still balance it. And the interesting thing is I, I look at my schedule now and it really hasn't changed much over the years. So whether I had two kids at home with me or an empty nester, things have stayed the same. I still have to exercise every morning, not for my figure, but because that's how I focus best. If I, you know, clean, clean the dust, dust off of my head, it's the only way I can sit and do my work. And now there, there have been days where I've sat down and and worked without exercising first. But I can tell you, I always burn out faster on those days. Like I may start start off like, oh, this is great. I'm getting so much done. And then I burn out. So there's certain practices that I do. I always have to have a digital calendar and a physical calendar. I may have that, keep that physical calendar right on my desk so I can see what it is I'm working on today, what I'm working on this week and love it. She's showing me hers. I'll show I'll show you yours if you show me mine or whatever. I'll show you mine if I sh- if you show me yours. So yeah, yours I, I have chaotic. to do both. Mine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so you have kind of figured out this system for yourself. I know not everyone is going to work with a digital calendar, a physical calendar, whatever. What are some boundaries that you set with yourself or what are some non-negotiables that you think really successful artists in general have for themselves that you think are creating harmony in their work?
1: Okay. So, I mean, for, for me, it's, I need a good night's sleep every, I mean, like sleep is, is such a big, big deal for me. Um, and, and I've never missed a meal. Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. So that those, those are like, forget intermittent fasting. That's, yeah. That's not a thing for me. So I, I, I definitely have that. I already mentioned the exercise. And in terms of just setting manageable goals, but the the biggest thing, and this is something that you you sort of hinted at earlier, is always surrounding myself with people who are also trying to do big things to normalize it. You know, I say, oh, okay, they didn't die when they, you know, did whatever it is that I think is going to kill me or do something scary to me. So surrounding yourself with a community and all successful artists have a community. I mean, you look back in time, Um, Van Gogh was friends with Gauguin and the fresh impressionists hung out together at cafes and Andy Warhol was friends with Basquiat and Helen Frankenthaler was smoking cigarettes with Grace Hartigan and Joan Mitchell so they all successful artists had artist friends so whatever it is you're trying to do to surround yourself with a community of people who are also doing the same thing as you.
0: Mm. Okay. So community is so key. And I know that, um, there's an episode on this show with, um, Emily Aries and she talks about burnout. And one of the reasons we burn out is a lack of community. Um, so what, what do you recommend when it comes to creating a community that you are aligned with? Because not all artists are going to resonate with each other. I'm sure it's very much the opposite in some ways. So, um, how does somebody get started in creating that for me, I love taking extension courses at universities. Um, but yeah, just curious if you have any thoughts there.
1: Yeah, well, that's a beautiful way is to take a class, whether it's in person or online. There's a lot of people who join my incubator program, and after it's over, there's like all these little mini groups that have are now out there who used to belong. You know, they've met each other in in an online class, and now they're a little cohort. I might personally, I invest in in communities and networks. The reason I joined my first mastermind is because I wanted to invest in my mentors network. So th- that has always been important to me, going to conferences of different kinds, not always in your own niche. Um, I think it's nice to have those cr- that cross-pollination, maybe some circles of friends I have are artists, other circles of friends I have are business people. So I like that. Or, you know, and also you know, getting to know other authors when I was writing the book. So it's really helpful to have those, those networks. And I'm always investing in my network. Yeah. Like that's something I invest in, not just with my dollars, but with my time.
0: It's funny. I moved to Palm Beach and I'm, I'm a friends person. I love my friends and I have them everywhere. And I'm, I'm very picky with them because I'm so open and vulnerable with them. And I moved to Palm Beach. I don't know anybody here. So I literally Googled bloggers in Palm Beach. Like I was like, who's the content person that maybe would resonate with what I'm up to? Not that I'm very business driven because I'm not like I will meet up with them and forget to talk about business. But um, I DM so many people three days ago uh, saying like, hi, I just moved to Palm Beach. Don't know anyone. If you want to hang out, text me. I would really love to. And it's like, I, I haven't even thought about those messages. Some people have written back. I have coffee dates. Some people haven't. Um, but I think people overthink. I think people overthink <laughs> about um, what you need to do to create those friendships or how hard it is to find them, establish them. Like it's life is a numbers game. And I think the more you people you reach out to, the more bites you're going to get. So, um, let's talk about the business side when it comes to relationships. Um, you know, you talk about in your book, like romancing collectors, um, how do you romance them and seduce them in a way okay. that feels authentic and like, you're not pushy and salesy and fun fact, I dated an art collector, um, that I feel like you probably know him Uh, years ago and it was the most like in spot one of the most inspiring experiences i ever had just being around someone so artistic and businessy as well um but yeah talk to me a little bit about how do you pitch yourself My friend, are you ready to launch your own podcast? Now more than ever is the time to start. Since I launched the U-Turn podcast in 2018, I've grown this show to hit the top charts, and we've even been so grateful to bring in over six figures in sponsorship deals nearly every year. And we have amazing conversations with top leaders and experts, as you know, and I just can't believe to this day that I get to have this much fun and that the show gets to support my business with sponsors we love that we get to share with you about. I'm so enamored by the fact that I get to have this much fun and impact while being paid to do it. And I want the same for you. So if the idea of you doing the same, creating a podcast, monetizing it and making an impact feels exciting and expansive, you're in the right place. And I want to share with you that my podcast launch course is coming. But in the meantime, I wanted to give you a complimentary, very detailed launch checklist filled with prompting questions to get you clear on your show, tactical action items, and everything else that you don't forget anything as well as the creative ideas to market and launch with impact. So What I have here is more than just a free checklist. It's the beginning of your future as a fellow podcaster. I really want this for you if you have the inspiration I did. So head on over to ashleystahl.com slash checklist and you can get this tool that's totally free. Again, that's ashleystahl.com slash checklist for my free checklist to start your podcast and launch with love. Okay. So let's talk about what you don't do.
1: <laughs> so I, with that, with that chapter, what I did was drew an analogy between, uh, like I said, romancing and collector is kind of like the dating game. So what a lot of people do is maybe they go into a situation and they're handing out their business card in the hopes that that creates a relationship. Now, that is the equivalent of a guy walking into a bar and giving his phone number out to every cute girl he sees. That does not work. Okay. That doesn't matter if we're talking about heterosexual relationships or any other kind, any relationship, any partnering. You, you want to make, if I want, if I were meeting you for the first time, actually for a bit in a business situation, and I wanted to continue the relationship, I would take your contact information, not shove my contact information at you because I'm the one who wants the relationship and now it's up to me to follow up. And that like brings, so that's, that's really the genesis of that is like, you have to treat people like you are the one who wants something, especially if you're selling, remember you're the lion, the deer doesn't chase after the lion. So you need to do it that way and, and really nurture that relationship and treat it as you would a friendship. Like get to know them, not ask them to marry you as
0: soon as you handed them your phone number. uh, One strategy that the art collector I was with for five months, he would do is he sent a, whenever he found someone that he knew, um, because he also sold art, I guess he was an art dealer and collector. So whenever he came across a potential client, he would just send them a box of his favorite art books. And it was kind of an expensive thing because they were beautiful books for their coffee wow. table and for them to explore art. But it was a business development tool for him because it was a way of saying, Hey, nice to meet you. And here's some of my favorite books that I think you might love, like reach out if you need to have any questions about the art world. And I know he's made millions of dollars in transactions just by that little box of very expensive books that he keeps sending out to people. Um, so the ROI is there. So there's many different unique little things that you can do. Um, yeah. Like let's talk about pricing. Cause I know a lot of people are probably just like, what do I charge for this painting or this bracelet that I made? Um, and where do I even post it? Maybe I don't want to go in a gallery. Maybe I want to be on a platform. Maybe I want to create my own website. Okay, um, great any- lot, so many great questions there. Yeah.
1: So first of all, this is, this does come that very much down to mindset because a lot of artists and just not artists, a lot of people in business think cheaper is easier to sell. And it absolutely isn't, especially as somebody who just came out with an $18 book, you would think that's easier to sell than a $2,000, you know, high ticket coaching program. And it is not. So a lot of people have this idea that cheaper is easier to sell. And when their art isn't selling, they think they have to lower their prices when sometimes the opposite is true. So lots, lots of case studies where, uh, so Dale Chihuly, who I think exhibits art and has an installation in Palm beach. He's a glass artist, colorful glass artist. And he initially was having trouble selling his artwork and the, his gallerist wanted to lower the price. And he said, no, put a zero at the end of everything. Okay. And, And then it started selling. Wow. And I've had the similar experiences. So if you think this doesn't apply to you, which I know what you, you're thinking, you not being Ashley, but you being listener. Uh, so like when I was selling pet portraits, there was a re- there was a time when I was like, I can't do another pet portrait. And <laughs> I asked my because um, I was I was selling them on, most on Etsy. I was getting a lot of sales, and I was doing them for I think $180. And I told my assistant double the prices, put it at 360. That should slow things down. No, nope. that week I got four. And not only did I get four that week, it's I got them from people who it was and were initially spending less money on them. So it's not like, and they didn't even say, oh, you, you raised your prices. I don't even know if they noticed, which showed me that it was probably still too low. Like it didn't slow it down at all. So we always have this thought. So this is where it goes back to our thoughts. We think cheaper is easier to sell when really it can be a turnoff. So when people go to buy wine, they like, I know when I go to buy a bottle of wine, my husband tells me don't buy $6 bottle of wine, you know, skip that. He tells me $20 bottle of wine. And they have done research that shows that people in a blind taste test being told wine was more expensive, rated them as higher, even though it was the same exact wine.
0: Yeah. I always get the $5 two buck chuck or whatever, because I I don't have a palate for wine, but I, I love what you're sharing around the research. And um, there's so many different ways to get the word out. So once you price something, you could, you know, romance the collectors and gallerists, um, you know, put your shingle up in Etsy or I don't even is that an expression? Put your shingle up. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean,
1: you, you can definitely um, put Put your your wares on Etsy. Etsy is a search engine. The better you are with choosing good SEO keywords on Etsy, if you have art that or a product that lends itself well to search engine, you will do very well on Etsy because it is a search engine. Mm -hmm. Uh, But really, the best way to sell art is to go where art collectors are, or to to sell jewelry is to go where people are buying things, which is an in-person show. So, mm-hmm. so not, you know, everyone wants this very passive, introverted way of selling, but it's much easier to take whatever it is you're doing into the virtual world once you've had the experience of doing it in person. And you will learn so much faster having getting that feedback. So that's where talk what I talk about and embrace your inner weirdo. How do you know if you're going in the right direction? you absolutely do not know unless you put it in front of people and get a response. Mm. So You can't just hide it away. I call the sleeping beauty complex. A lot of artists, a lot of business people, they think, I just want to keep it here until it's perfect. I don't want to release my website yet until it's perfect. I don't want to put my podcast out. It's not ready yet. And that's like, that's why I call it Sleeping Beauty complex because it's like in the fairy tale when the fairies took Sleeping Beauty when she's a little baby and they took her into the woods and the next time you see her she's this beautiful fully grown adult like nothing ever happens like there's no braces there's no there's no pimples there's no glasses but we all have to bring our babies out when they're going through that stage because otherwise it can never evolve into a grown up. Mm. Business can't
0: evolve without feedback. Mm, okay, so. When we talk about money, I think a lot of people get nervous, right? Like putting a price on their, their work. And it's so vulnerable when you're an artist because it's like a piece of yourself and it can feel so personal, um, beyond, let's say they're doing the mindset work. They're networking with gallerists. Um, what are in today's world? I mean, it's like we could TikTok and tweet and like everything, what are some of your absolute favorite ways that you're seeing artists get their word out or maybe something we haven't thought about from a tactical standpoint? Like, I love what you said. Etsy is a search engine. You need kind of like SEO keywords in your in your search to nail it. Um, that's such a fun fact. Is there anything else you're seeing that you find really clever, really powerful? Um, I wouldn't yeah.
1: call it clever, but what works across all my artists is is the email list. Mm -hmm. So just to share some very hard data and it, so right now, or when I was doing the research on the book, um, the average Instagrammer was getting 0.6% engagement. That was in 2022. The last time I checked that statistic, Mm -hmm. the average influencer, their engagement, you know, the people who says, I'm going to teach you how to like get big engagement on Instagram. Their engagement rate is 1.12%, not even. That much better. Mm -hmm. So, what does that mean? You have a thousand people. If it's 0.6, only six people are going to engage with you. Now, if we compare that to email marketing, the average open rate on an email message is 24%. So, when I crunch the numbers, what does that translate to? That means you need 4,000 people on Instagram. Compared to a hundred people on email to have the same result, mm-hmm. so if you're just starting out, it is so much easier to build an email list, even if it's just a hundred people, because that will give you the same result as four thousand people on Instagram. And I see too many artists spending way too much time creating content for the Zuckerverse, and TikTok is—I mean, like all—and I mean, we want to go there. I'm gonna trash every single social media platform. <laughs> so first of all, I call it the death of the scroll. So this is whether it's Reels, YouTube, or TikTok, what do you see people doing on these platforms? They're scrolling. They're not mm-hmm. stopping. They're mm-hmm. not stopping to look. I I've had clients with Reels who've gone viral like literally 47,000 views and barely got a th- new followers from that. Definitely didn't sell any e- uh, any artwork from it. So it's just not worth the time we're putting in. And then, you know, we can like we can talk about the other platforms too. But
0: yeah, I mean, I love what you're sharing, and I also know there's a lot of instruction around email lists. We have um, a half a million, you know, people on our email list. But sometimes I feel like I don't I don't sell much on my email list because I don't even I don't know. Like I think I started the podcast in the first place as a way to just be myself and connect with people and. I don't know, keep everyone engaged without having to sell something. How do people get to know their email list? Because that's a big difference between like John Doe, your neighbor, being your subscriber and the right person being your subscriber. So what are your thoughts on getting the right people on your email list or just starting to think about nurturing your email list? Okay. So
1: when you email somebody, and you may have talked talked about this before, Ashley, is you got to think about just one person opening that. Like you just have one person in mind, one way I did work, one, one client who was resistant about this. I talked to her, it's like, let's pretend this is your father who just passed away. What do you want to say to him? What would you say to him about your artwork? And that changed everything for her. So now writing her emails, it's almost like a spiritual practice for her because it's become an important way that she's communicating and people do feel that difference of way, way you're talking to them instead of, Hey, you guys, like I hate emails when I open up. Hey y'all. Hey, you guys. So knowing that you're not talking to the masses that whoever's opening the email, that's one person who is seeing that message and they want to feel seen
2: Mm
1: -hmm. as one
0: person. They don't want to feel like you're talking to a million people. Do you have any strategies um, like in researching your list, understanding your list? I know people talk about sending a survey out. Even if you have 100 people, it's like, hey, what do you want from me? And of course, we have a lower response rate. So like obviously the data, it's like if you send an email out like, who are you? Take this survey. And then like 20 people out of the 100 take it. It's like, how do you know who you're working with? Do you have any thoughts on helping people get a better grasp on who they're working with on their list? that that's a great um question i mean for
1: the artists i work with like i said you don't need a lo- a humongous email list and especially if you are building the email is using traditional methods, like not doing not doing Facebook ads. I don't recommend that artists do Facebook ads, but you are adding collectors, people who want to collect prospects to your list. So they will naturally gravitate towards you, especially if you're doing the the right work with embracing your inner weirdo. When you are embracing your values, embracing your quirks, you will attract people who are in alignment with your authentic use. You. So you don't have to do that. And it's, you don't even want to do that. Now, if you're a service provider, of course, you're going to do more surveys, like about what it is you're offering. For most artists, I don't recommend that they change necessarily what they're offering based on surveys. The data of what's selling is going to tell you much more than a survey. Cause lots of people can, will say they want things, but it's where are they going to put their money on it?
0: OK, you're touching on such a good point, which is like collecting data on what's selling where like how do what is the mindset and going about that? So let's say somebody listening right now, they want to create a jewelry line um, and it's like, OK, how do they begin in really getting a sense of what's working in that space so that they can take their talents? This is actually very counterintuitive advice, what you're saying, because in the um, online course world. I think the mistake people are told that they make, and I think it's true, is they think too much about what they have to offer and not enough about what their audience wants. Whereas in the art world, it's more about what do you have to offer and really putting your, your uniqueness out there.
1: Yes, and. So yes. this is why I say for people who are selling things like handmade goods, one-of-a-kind items, and you're not building things at scale, you can't gather the data fast enough Doing things online. You really have to be in person. We already Mm -hmm. talked about the death of scroll. People are not gonna, at their scrolling by, gonna stop and say to you, I like it, I don't like it. Do you have it in purple? They will say that to you if they're at an art fair and they're looking at your stuff. Oh, do you have that in purple just to make something up? You know, like they like your butterfly jewelry, but they really want it in purple. Now you don't, you don't get that online. People just either you get silence, maybe you get a double tap of the heart. People are commenting less and less. And like we said, you're not even like you have a thousand people following and Maybe only six people are going to stop to like or comment. That's not enough. When you get, when you're in person, you will get that. Now, if you start to hear not just one time, but maybe three people came by that day and they all want those earrings in purple. Now it's data. Mm. So it's not about like, okay, you're creating jewelry and you see Sarah over there um, has polymer jewelry and she's selling well. So I'm going to go do that. I'm going to copy her. We already established. We don't want to be copying, but it's more like, where can you turn up the volume on what you're already doing? What are they resonate? Sometimes, especially with us artists, we're so close to it. We don't even see what it is that people love about it it's until we're in front of them in person, like really Seeing what's happening to you know things that maybe we're dismissing because it's too easy or too commonplace, or maybe we we made a pair of earrings in purple and we don't we don't like purple, but suddenly everybody wants the purple ones. Maybe that was just a a mistake in your resin process, and now everybody wants those mistake earrings. So this is the data that you need to gather, and you have to get over your introverted self and get out there and remind yourself when you are at a situation in person. You're only talking to one person at a time. And I'm I'm saying this because I get so much pushback from from the introverts out there. They don't wanna go in person, but I can promise you, you don't even have to talk. You just have
2: to listen.
0: Mm, okay, what have I not asked you before we go? You've shared so much. I feel like I've asked you 20 compound questions. So thank you for your, your piece with me. And um, yeah, is there anything I haven't asked you that you think is important for everybody to know? Um, I would say that you, when we talked that we
1: began the conversation with choose to believe, and I want to end the conversation with how I, how I end the book artpreneur, which is keep marching forward. There are going to be times when you feel like you're doing all the right things and it's still not working and you can't blame the, your boots. In other words, you can't blame the circumstances. Don't march in place. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And as long as you're
0: making forward progress, you will get there. I love this so much. Where can everybody find you and keep learning from you?
1: Well, if you like what you heard today, you can come find me at the Inspiration Place podcast. And I am giving chapter one, Choose to Believe for free. So if you want the first chapter of Artpreneur, go to shulmanart.com forward slash believe.
0: Yay. Thank you so much again for coming on. Well, thanks for having me, Ashley. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week.
2: This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you, it's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast. Or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam, on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.